Hi, guys. Welcome to this episode of the Trainer Feed. We are your hosts. My name is Angel Sanchez. We have David Bravo. Hi. And Jacques Deloger. What's going on, everybody? Today, we're going to well, cover... Funny, but... David's always giggling. Today, we're going to cover a couple of topics. One is uh, we're just going to take some time to reintroduce ourselves. I know that we've got some new listeners and some new viewers on YouTube, so it'd be a good opportunity to do that. Then we're also going to talk about a couple of topics. I'm going to cover whether training is an art form or not, or like a skill or not. David's going to cover gym etiquette. Gym etiquette, guys. It's about time. And Jack will cover nutrition. Cover some aspects of it, yeah. Especially in New York City with a restaurant scene. Some of these restaurants have been open since everything happened last year. So some of the reopening. And then just trying to keep you guys accountable with some um, some thoughts or some hacks that could help stay along with the theme of being consistent. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. So let's go into intros. I don't want to start, but I'm already talking. Oh, yeah, there you go. Go ahead, David. So Jump my in. Name, hey, guys. My name is David Bravo. I'm a native New Yorker. I've been in the fitness industry for about nine years, but I've been a trainer for six. No. Yeah. Yeah. Going on six years uh, at Equinox. And I've gone through a lot of their uh, EFTI, a lot of their curriculum. I'm Viper certified, Kettlebell one and two certified, uh, precision nutrition level one certified, and I've, I've dabbled around with uh, strength and conditioning through NCSF. Um, not animal flow certified yet. I'm waiting for Jacques to be a master instructor so I can take his class. But one day. Other than that, yeah, you know, just, you know, trainer life in New York City is always up and down. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? I don't know. Hopefully back in school. Hopefully maybe uh, going back to school for something in the law field. That's where I have my undergrad in. Oh, I see. So you're yeah. trying to like finish that up? Yeah. So, you know, keeping fitness as my uh, kind of hobby in a way, keeping it going. Cool. That's awesome. All right. Do you, do you uh, want... Wait, John Jay? You went to John Jay, yeah, right? Yeah, I went to John Jay in the city. I've been in the city all my life. I went to high school in the South Bronx. I went to school in Harlem and then college in Midtown. And you're a product of the slums. <laughs> Let me <Crazy>. stop. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Joe. Fat Joe and uh, J Lo went to school with you. No, they they're up in the Bronx. No, the South Bronx, South South Bronx. No, you don't know that song. All right. No, no it's all good. No. J Lo's Castle Hill. But she always reps at South South Bronx. Yeah, but. What, what has she done for the South Bronx? Oh, shit. What Damn, have you done for me lately? Jenny's from, the, <laughs> Jenny's from the block when it's convenient. Damn. Oh, shit. Yeah, points. All right, so I'll <laughs> intro, re-intro myself. Name is Angel Sanchez, similar to David, born and bred in the city. New York is my hometown. Um, started getting into fitness. I think fitness has always been a part of my life, but it started to envelop a little bit more as I got older. 
I did martial arts when I was a teenager, had some success there. Then I went to school initially for engineering, but then um, similar to David as well, I went to a CUNY school, I went to Lehman College, and I was supposed to transfer out, but one day my buddy was like, hey, would you like to work out at the gym in between classes? I said, sure. Went there, had a, you know, a decent time. I realized I was weak as fuck. Uh, people were like bench pressing, you know, all this weight and all that stuff. And I was more of a body weight guy. I think it's because of like the martial arts background and just like growing up in the city, you do pull-ups on scaffolding, shit like that. Um, and then I noticed that, you know, my arms were shaking, just holding a barbell, my hands were hurting, you know, my, I, my, I couldn't keep my arms down the next couple of days after I was like, I need to figure this out. Um, so I kept going back. I was like reluctant at first because I wasn't really, um, I, I never really played for like a sports team or anything like that. So I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable like being in a locker room and just like changing in front of people and all that stuff. So that the social aspect for me, it was like, I was in a different world. Um, I mean, just this is how it is. So I've always like mm. put it away. But then when I was thrown in there and then I started seeing improvements, people say, oh man, you got, you know, I see you getting your weight up, you know, and in the gym, they encourage you. And I was like, you know what, let me, let me stick with this. Um, had a good time. Um, changed my major to exercise science. Then I got certified through NSCA, got my CPT, then I got my CSCS, a couple of years in the field and um, did some PT work as well. Worked as a PT aide for a couple of years. I worked in line with when I started working at a gym. Um, and now here I am. And I, I want to like, based off, like after listening to the podcast and being on the podcast with so many different guests, some of the guests have inspired me. I would like to do some stuff that Holly did. I don't know if you guys have, um, listeners remember Holly, but she did speak about going on a couple of teams and working with them as a strength and conditioning coach. So I would like to try to get my feet wet in that regard too, because I've worked a lot with general population and some athletes here and there one-on-one, -on -one, but the strength and conditioning for teams seems pretty cool to me. So we'll see, maybe in a few years, I can get into that. I didn't know you had done uh, your, field, your field of martial arts either. That was news to me. Yeah, I still, I still got the belts to prove it. Maybe not the moves. With the belts. <laughs> Did you know that, David? I don't know that about it. About I, think I, have, I think I've heard him say it before. What kind of what kind of martial arts? Akita. Karate, 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 karate. Each knee sanchi koruku sichi hachikuju. Okay, that's just one to ten in <laughs> Japanese. It really doesn't mean anything. Oh, <laughs> no, I don't know what it was. It was like code for I'm gonna fuck you up or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's what I gotta do right before. One to I, ten, you have one you to see? ten. For you got one rat. to ten. That's it. <laughs> yeah, right. You got to the kind of count. 10. <laughs> no, nah, it's cool. I, I really, I really miss that stuff too. I was thinking about, so before COVID hit. I did karate for like a year. Yeah. Before COVID hit, we were thinking about, I think it was me, Tommy, um, Ed, Nick as well, who was, who was a guest on the podcast as well. We're speaking about joining that jujitsu spot that's on 72nd, Dude, set between be 72nd down. and 73rd. I'd be 100% down to do it. Or 70, what, yeah, 72nd. On 72nd, yeah. 71st in Columbus. Yeah, we were going to get into that, but then obviously COVID hit, and then that's not probably the safest thing to do if you're trying to stay away from COVID. Probably not now. Yeah, not now. that's like one of the first things that would probably, one of the last things to come back, I think, wouldn't it? 
Because yeah. even if you were someone, I don't know who I was talking. I think it was a uh, on a podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about martial arts and or any kind of fighting that's involved of well, any kind of fighting of that sort is such close contact that it doesn't matter if you're wearing a mask. I think you're just sweating and spitting everywhere that it's just it doesn't. The mask isn't even a a, a viable thing at that point. I don't think. But right, uh, I remember it just like a couple of days. Just I remember I have I have like vivid memories of a couple of things in karate. I think that's everybody who's done martial arts has. Like the first time you got knocked out or close to getting knocked out, you know, <laughs> the first time you got like the wind knocked out of you, things like that. But I, I remember that far. Listen, man, these I people I, I never got I never got far to spar. I think I sparred once. There was a I was like eight, I think. So. there was a guy who used to do um I forget the the actual name of it. Maybe it's it's not it's the one where you offensing so he was a fencer before so that's the one where you have like the the grill on grill and, yeah and one hand one hand like this yeah yeah and then he was he just started out and i was supposed to help train him for sparring and so we were all paired up with people like of similar height similar weight and that dude had like very um, ballistic movement but he just couldn't like jab and like you know throw kicks he was just very used to just like throwing everything into like one shot really quickly and he punched me right in my face and you're supposed to like light tap things like that but he punched the hell out of me and i was like damn i was like i fell back a little bit you know whatever whatever but my instructor saw that and then he Fuck him up. He, he paused it he told everybody to stop and he switched out the biggest dude in the dojo with me and then he had me box like the dojo partner or whatever and that dude beat his ass I was a rough one. <laughs> it was like, at least he saw it. He made sure I was good. It. I said I was good. Yeah. You know, they said you want to sp- you want to keep sparring. I said yeah, and you get the reps in. Uh, and then <laughs> you just like that was crazy. That was wild. Anyway, that's my spiel. Wow. All right. Jack, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's, let's, about right, cool. We're good. Let's... All right. On to the. Topic. <laughs> God, oh wait, Jacques. Fuck. My bad. Yeah. No. Uh, reintroduction. Reintroduction about myself. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I am. Um, born and bred in, the, in the Europe, more specifically in the United Kingdom, to French and Scottish parents. Why? Because that's, that's who I am. It's my makeup. I've been in the States for seven plus years. I recently became a citizen actually in February. So that was pretty awesome. Um, in terms of health and wellness, I've been in the industry, but over six, like bit of about six and a half years around the same time as these guys. Uh, what got me into the industry was um, my love and passion for health and wellness but for sports more specifically i played rugby back in the united kingdom for like nine ten years and played a little bit of tennis but played a bit of hockey ice hockey at university in england at birmingham university and um when i came over to the states i did start in retail but when i got into fitness in the first year of training i had a serious knee injury and it took three doctors to MRIs later to realize it was a pretty serious injury Anyway, long story short, three surgeries later, uh, I'm very familiar with knee injuries. And um, I also had a hand surgery. But long and short of it is it makes me feel very familiar with anyone who comes out of surgery looking to gain strength back, looking to get back in the weight room and um, feel feel stronger than they were before the surgery. That's somewhat one of my mottos. And uh, it helps me be very empathetic with people who've had injuries. I'm very sensitive to that in the sense that anything that might be like a, a small sensation, I'm very aggressive about adhering to it 
And usually the thought is anything that past a week, you know, we should see someone about it. Um, so, and then I'm a huge fan of kettlebell athletics. One reason being is it was my saving grace through recovery when I couldn't do too much knee flexion or when the workouts can be too intense. That sounds maybe con contradictive, but kettlebells really allow you to have high intensity workouts that I think were low intensity on the joints. That might, again, might sound hard to believe, but if you're someone that's had knee injury and if you can hinge and you can press pull, you can do a lot of dynamic workouts and patterns with that. So it was my saving grace. And that's why I really have just come to love kettlebells. And when COVID happened or when it first happened last year, if you had one tool and a lot of us have spoken about this, when we first started this podcast, if you had one or two tools or would it be in kettlebell has always been that tool. Um, and then for those of you listening, I've been working with David and Angel over four and a half to five years, I'd say five and a half to six years now, I'd say. And, um, I think that's pretty much sums me up. If you didn't know already, I'm a huge Islanders fan. That's probably also really important Boo. about me. <laughs> I am um, absolute buzzing big fan of them. Yeah. <laughs> you said you, you went to the University in Birmingham. The University of Birmingham, yeah. So you a Peaky Blinder? Oh, I'm Peaky Fucky Blinder. Did you know one of the Did you see one of the actresses passed away today with a fight from cancer? No. Who? Uh. She's the one married to Damien Lewis. She passed away today, yeah, like about an hour or two ago. Damn. Oh, oh, she was, yeah, Polly. Crazy, Polly. right? Fuck. I think they were just filming a season right now as well. She was great. She was really so, fucking good. I gotta, I gotta get into Peaky Blinders, but that's, well, you haven't yeah, that's it? all. I didn't appreciate oh God, it, God. and when I went to school there. But can you understand the accent? Yeah, you put the subtitles on. <laughs> That's point in case you need the subtitles. I I can understand the the accent, but it's when I went to school there. I I don't need to hear the accent anymore. So uh, I, I will get back into it. I think Silly Murphy does a very good accent. He's very convincing. Killing when you hear amazing. He's so fucking. He's so good in it. Like you would think he was. A, he was. He was born and bred in that city just by you listening know, to. He it. has a. He's in the app to put you to sleep. Calm, calm, boy. <laughs> I'm Cillian Murphy, and I want you to go to sleep. Not to mention I'm sitting on the guy from the Pokey Blonde. <laughs> Dude, he was really. He was really good. <laughs> oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't in his normal accent, right? Boy, yeah. I'm Cillian Murphy, and I want you to go to sleep. Here, listen to this. Get the fuck no. to get the fuck to sleep. All right, you're pissing me off. I can't believe I get paid to tell you to go to sleep. No. Jacques, where do you see yourself in ten years professionally? Uh, <laughs> Thank you, David, for setting him on that tangent. Setting me on that tangent. David's good about doing that. Uh, honestly, I really hope to be on the West Coast. I know we're all on the East Coast right now, and I really want to be, uh, being able to have. I think a mixture private clientele and have some either facility or some company of some sort that can almost self-run itself or be uh, higher up in the ranks in the company that we all currently work with. I want to do something of that nature. I just want to, it's interesting because I think we heard Mike Boyle say this when he was in the industry in his 20s, 30s. No one at that point had been in the industry still working in our field up until the 60s, 70s. He mentions things like that, I think. And he was the first one to do it. And I think very few get to do it. So to be able to do it 
Um, it's it's hard. I, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to set myself up, but I, I already have plans. I ult- Ultimately, people who listen to this might be laughing, but I really want to be able to design my own house like on the West Coast, like from scratch. And I already have ideas in my head what, what I want to look like, but it might be very unrealistic, but I've listened to, I've, I've talk, I hear a lot of the, when podcasts about visualization and the mindset of it. And uh, that's something I, I hold myself accountable for. And I try and be good about saving and that. But before we move on, let's hear what you want to be in 10 years from now, because we didn't ask you that question. No, I kind of touched up on it. But I, before I go back to that, I did want to follow up because you're kind of thinking about all this stuff right now. And based off what you said, it seems as if, something in the rehab space might be something that you're interested in, maybe not directly, or maybe you haven't linked the two together, but with your appreciation and um, empathetic role being like treating people with surgeries or, you know, prehab or rehab. um, And then you also having the idea of trying to build your own space or have your own space. Have you thought about marrying the two? Like you can have some gen pop that you train, but then also have a facility that runs a rehabilitative um, process or, you know, works with some hospitals or something like that? Uh, I've, I've thought a little about it. It's actually very interesting you asked that because I spoke to excuse me, a couple of people about trying to grow the idea of, of, that, in, of that field and the, not the drawback to that, but the, the theme or subject I bring up often is it's hard to sell or promote that side of our industry. It's so much easier to say, come to see me in six weeks, you'll walk out being summer ready. That sounds a lot better. It's a lot easier. And we, we all know as fitness professionals that even if you sell that six week program, it's not a sustainable concept. It's not something that you can go with long-term and, and assume that's going to fix everything. But I, I have thought about it. Ultimately, I also know, I also think about these things, whether it's working with teams, working, it's working with, I also think sometimes it's, we can admit that sometimes who, if you know one professional athlete, they, and if they were injured, they can push you to the whole team and the whole team comes and sees you. And then you have what? You either have the affiliation of the team or a couple of teams, and then you get the private clients because they want to continue working with you. So I think about it. I'd love to, um, I love something in that concept. I think, uh, It's, it's something I think of a lot. I, it's, I have ideas in my head and, and, and some people even suggested combining Pilates of training because Alex is a Pilates instructor. I don't know if I could run a business with her though. I think I would, I think we end up like going crazy. So, but. Um, the PT facility that I used to work at was owned and operated by husband and wife. Uh, and the wife ran the PT operations and the husband ran uh, PT as in physical therapy and the husband ran kind of like a like a gym section of it um, where they did a lot of like high intensity interval training and things like that did a lot of classes group fitness classes so it's not impossible and it's not impossible they didn't but... seem like they were going to kill each other but they did have their own like separate spaces Say, yeah I think I, I mean I'm interested to see how it is but I don't know I, I visualize um because I think the sometimes when we have without going off too much too much of a tangent, it's funny because I think with routine and visualization, I think for example, 
if we struggle to have time to work out for ourselves right now, say between clients, I sometimes think how much harder is it going to be five to 10 years time when I have kids or when I don't, I don't, I don't have the luxury of just like, even with having the dog, sometimes I take him into account. I have to think, Oh, it has to be a certain amount of time. Where is he? It's over there. Yeah, um, how long it is before you, before you take him out, whatever. But in my, in five years, 10 years time, I'm thinking, wow, I'm probably going to, cause when we train clients at 6am, I, I'm always thinking to myself, Oh God, this is brutal. I can't imagine training at this hour, let alone like it's, it can be difficult to get up and be there at six, but mm. I'm thinking that's going to be me in five, 10 years time. I have to, the only time I'm going to get, I'm going to get to work out is between six and 7am like our clients. And it's a little, it's, it's, but it's just realization. And it just, it's just, I visualize that as well going forward. I'm thinking that'll probably have to be me because there'd be no other time for us to get it. Can you imagine it's already, if you, I don't know, I just, we're not going to get the time at between three and 4 p.m. Oh, oh, maybe not. But if you run your own business and you work between 6 a.m. and 2 p.m., 2 p.m. flat, maybe you do have that time. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just guess, guessing that it'll be difficult, but going off on a tangent here again, yeah. No, that, that's cool. I, I was just wondering if you put those two ideas together and you'll still have time. And, you know, honestly, the visualization thing really helps with uh, keeping track of what you want to do. Some One of the things that I did coming out of school was just, I wrote down a couple of things, like five things that I wanted to accomplish in the next five years. And I tried to make that happen. Um, some of them were just silly. And I was just mm. like, that's ridiculous. But other things were pretty realistic, right? Like, I was like, financially, let's just pay off all the student loans. And that got finished. Like I did that. Right. And that was one thing that I thought, oh, I'm going to laugh at this a couple of years from now. Like, what the hell was I thinking? But then I did it. And then I was like, all right, that's cool. Um, so little things like that. So visualization, plotting that stuff out. And then also seeing where you're at right now, it'll, you can, th that's the beauty of being your own boss too if you create mm. your own facility and you create your own space you can kind of make it whatever time you want to make it like you can take those exactly. blocks off and you can say all right so i'm gonna have leave early on wednesdays and fridays or something like that so that alex can you know leave early on mondays or tuesdays mm. or something like that so you can you can make your own schedule you can make your own Figure business and make it happen yeah because if you have a good idea and if you're good at what you do i feel like people will support you Mm -hmm. and the money will come in order to help you facilitate that right i think it's when people kind of half-ass it or things just get crazy like chaos ensues right like for example covid nobody really predicted that so a lot of yeah, people are out of hard... businesses just based on either the nature of what they did or the location of where they had it right there was a really interesting uh, podcast i listened to and they interviewed a, a guy uh who his his business concept is they bring fitness to you i th i think it's uh a truck of of moving parts that come to you whether it's an office space whether it's uh an outdoor park or apartment whatever and he was talking about covid all the necessities survived right the things that might not have been quite necessities didn't survive well that was his his point making and like fitness being one of them and I think that speaks a lot to with virtual training, for example, he said no one was really virtual training before COVID happened. I was training one person if she was out of town and she was out of town once every two months. And that was my first experience. I'd done maybe two sessions. So I was a little familiar with it. But uh, at that point when people realized, yeah, I have to stay in my apartment in isolation, people start realizing, oh no, I need my, I need my 
my exercise, my physical exercise, my movement. I need my coach, my trainer will make it happen. I think that was a big testament. And that was something I thought was quite powerful when he said it was a bit fitness and training is a necessity. And unfortunately, some things didn't survive. And uh, going back to drumming and COVID, it's, I think, it's so hard to think that there'll be anything quite like this that shuts down so much of the economy ever again. I think it's maybe I'm being naive. Another pandemic. I don't think, well, I don't think we're out of the woods yet either, but I think yeah. that we're, and just for our listeners, I am the only one here with Johnson Johnson and I am fine. I'm here to tell the tale. You okay. Sure? I am. Uh, I do not look like the guy from the Goonies. The, hey guys, someone sent me that meme. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but uh, I, I actually, I journaled in January 2020. Uh, in January, I was saying, all right, I'll get my, my third surgery. And for those listening, it was just a minor cleanup. It wasn't too bad. But I said, let me do the, let me do the surgery in February, right? Then I'll have the whole year to travel. And I wanted to travel in 2020. And I was writing down Nashville, maybe Miami, California, uh austin i want to go to austin i wanted to go do the primal soldier has a workshop him and his girlfriend i was at on academy i was like i said i've never been this will be good and then writing all these places down right I love how this COVID. guy is identified by his handle like he doesn't even have a his name. handle eric Le- eric leia i think his name is um but but COVID happens. March, we go to Jersey to Alex's parents. I come back in June and I look at the journal. I'm like, I had no idea that COVID what, what was going to unfold and how all these places. And But we've already set ourselves that we're probably going to try and go to California this summer. Just We're just so exhausting. But did we even cover what Angel wants to do in 10 years from time from now? I don't think so. And I just said that I wanted, no, yeah. I just said that I wanted to go um, and try to get my feet wet into like athletic training and, you know, training some sports teams or something like that, or being a strength and conditioning coach, even if it's like an internship or something like that, or I just like jump in every now and then to sub, I think it would be cool to kind of understand how to move teams because it's a little bit different than just one-on-one and I've done like group fitness here and there, but I think that with teams with a specific goal, with a specific sport, I think it becomes a little bit more involved and you just want to make mm. sure that all the pieces are coming together. Um, and it would be cool to understand that, understand it from that level. Um, obviously I spoke a little bit to how I never really played an organized sport. So I wasn't really familiar with the social aspect of it and the environment and all that. So it would be cool to kind of go into there. And just learn, right? I might see just, you know, Holly spoke about all the things that she kind of learned from that experience. Um, And I think that it would help me become a better coach if I understood that um, from a coaching perspective. Uh, Because some some clients that we have are former athletes. And like, I, I just put on a client right now who's like a former D3 athlete. And she was like, you know, just with it every exercise i gave to her she was just like on it like she knew her her, how to move her body she knew what her body what injuries her body was prone to she knew what her body was at right now and she was like i'm just gonna drive just give me like metrics give me like uh distance time intervals this down the third and she just understood it i didn't have to really tell her like 10 seconds on 20 seconds on this means that you're going to work at this intensity for 10 seconds like she just knew right she knew the lingo and all that stuff so that was very helpful and i would like to help facilitate some of that so that way i have a better understanding as a coach when i put on clients from that world 
or it might be something that I want to get more involved with, more involved with. But let's try to circle back to a couple of the other things that we wanted to speak about today. So David, gym etiquette. Right now, people are jumping back into the gym. They're saying, you know what? I spent the past year on lockdown, had my account on freeze. They charged me $20. I said, fuck it, I'm coming in. $30. So what's up with gym etiquette right now? Where is it at right now? What could we work on? So, I mean, this all started with a post that I saw from Barbend. Shout out Barbend on IG. Oh, um, uh, you posted this yesterday? Yeah, I think no. Yeah, I saw this. And it was like, even though <laughs> it was like, quote unquote, if even though you're vaccinated, the CDC still recommends you to re-rack your weights. And that got me thinking, right? It's like, what goes through your mind when you're putting on 315, you know, when most of the time when you put 315 on the bar to squat, you're not even doing it right. And you just walk away. You just walk away from your bar and you just leave it all there. What if what if someone that's uh, not as strong as you or someone that's not as tall as you comes and wants to use a squat rack? Like, like, that's that's the dick move. Like, it's, you have to be, you know, come on. You might as well just take the weights off. And now with COVID, it's even more of a struggle with some people because some people don't clean their weights. You know, they don't wipe down their work area. They don't wipe down the weights because they're taking it off. They don't wipe down the barbell. So the biggest thing that I always see are either no one re-racks their weights. People just leave, you know, there are people that leave sweat marks around the whole work area because they're just sweating bullets that, or somebody's on the uh, spin bike. And then they would just like leave a puddle of sweat everywhere it's i don't think it's the i mean I, it's great that you're doing work awesome if your goal is to sweat a fucking liter of water because you think that's gonna you know give you a better workout then congratulations whatever. congratulations good for you but that doesn't mean that the other person is gonna want to do that too you know maybe the other person wants to do some sprints on it and it's gonna be on it for like five minutes ten minutes right so that's the biggest thing that i've seen at least where we work it's either the weights the sweat and then one more thing I mean, we all, we all know these people, you know, some members included where, you know, if you're doing a superset, you know, across the gym floor and then somebody wants to use the machine, you can't, you can't be like, I'm using that when you're across the way, you know, and that's when gym etiquette comes into all because we're all in there together. We're all trying to better ourselves. You know, it's, it's not only one person's gym. Gym etiquette really means that you also care about the place that you're working in. You care about the people there, especially with COVID now, I think it all has to be a collective union when it comes to the safety of everybody, right? So re-rack your weights, wipe down the machine you're using, you know, and I know, I know some of the, uh, some of the cleaning cloths are very wet and they're very moist. So maybe, you know, if you clean it down, just get another towel to like dry them off. But, you know, just look out for one another, especially with COVID. We're not, we're not over the hump yet it's still it's still a thing wear your mask properly and get vaccinated the way you mask properly as well <clears throat> no one's no one's no one's forcing you to come in the gym if you can't wear the mask you can't yeah. breathe i did have somebody have complain there. at me because my client was squatting and then she took it off to drink water or coffee she had and then she puts it back on usually and then i go to put some a kettlebell away and one guy was like hey if your client's going to take your mask off, make sure to tell her to put it on. And I'm like, 
she was she was drinking her like drink right between sets. She put it right back on, bro. Like, calm down. Go do your fucked up deadlift somewhere else, man. Go do your bum deadlift. Worried about your back, not whether or not somebody that's fifty meters away from you is, you know. But that's just that's just that. I don't know. I want to quickly jump in on a story that I encountered. I think I told Angel the brief summary of the story, but there's um, a member. No, because frequently the mask is below the is like below the chin, below the nose, and I was working out. And the person was doing banded walks, banded monster walks, and the, and the, and they were in the middle of the floor, and the mask was below the chin. Like, well, what what is the thinking there? And I've seen this person do before, and, and I was at my house. Excuse me, do you mind? Can you put your mask on? It wasn't even as if it was like, it wasn't even filtering below the nose. And then she said, uh, "Oh, I identify as a she." Whoops! But she said, "Oh, yeah, I just say so you no, know, I'm vaccinated." You know, I was like, "So am I." I don't care guess what we're all trying to like it's not it's not different for anyone or just um it's so that's that was just but it was it's just the scenario i actually um without going into it too much i think uh you like anything in training i think you build a tolerance and an adaptation to working out with masks i think the first time you do it it's difficult but i think you build an adaptation um but i i I don't want to do it i've got to do it it's still not fun. I don't want to do it forever. But Angel, I don't want to jump in. Sorry. Uh go ahead. Keep keep doing what you're doing, man. I was chilling. Well, I was just saying that it was just it could be an adaptation process, and yeah. uh, even on the spin bike, it was a little tough at first. But then you, you you I think that the paper ones are the easiest ones to breathe. And Lululemon have these uh, they brought out uh, these really good ones uh, that I wear, and I, I almost thought I lost Probably it, close. but. Uh, no, no one could afford Lululemon. Retail for ninety nine, ninety nine. No, a three pack is thirty four dollars. Ah, you see. And we all get a discount with um. True. Uh, Sweat Collective. Right, because Under Armour's mask, I think they they started them with like thirty bucks a piece, and then Ooh. now they now they're like two for forty or two for thir- two for fifty, something or, like that. Or on Amazon. Oh. And get a box of fifty. Give Jeff Bezos take, or take that money. Box of fifty masks for like twelve bucks, and sell it on the street for for more. And scream, <laughs> scream! Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Jeff. Thanks, brother. My name's Jeff. I wish I, I, wish I invested in, in Amazon when when it was nothing. You saw that picture? Is it ninety eight or something? When he has he has the this is Amazon. He has like a yeah a paper sheet hanging from the wall. That's what it started off as. Dude, Dogecoin, oh. Dogecoin went up. I bought Dogecoin when it was like 0.006 a share or like a mm-hmm. Dogecoin. I bought a hundred dollars worth of it, right? And I lost. Like now he's a millionaire. Bucks. No, no, no. I lost like 20 bucks. I'm like, fuck this. So I took my money out. Now it's selling at like 30 cents. It's Damn. insane. I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot, man. But that's yeah. how they, that's it's how the market and, the, and no, my buddy texts me. He's like, yo, do you still have that Dogecoin that I told you to buy? I'm like, no. He's like, you idiot. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I mean, what do you someone want? was talking about Bitcoin, about how someone's relative told them to invest and they spent like a grand in, in invested a grand into it. And then they were pissed because a couple years later it was worth a hundred dollars, $200. Yeah. 
but now it's worth 36 20 grand so it's worth 20 times what he originally invested in it dude so nfts and bitcoin nfts right no for i mean there was this artist online who was doing art for free for people she graduated from art school her name ali something ali spagnola or something like that was selling just free art like free pictures to people and they're like hey you could donate give me a dollar at whatever buy me a coffee here's a piece of piece of art and one guy years ago was like here's a bitcoin gave her one bitcoin as a payment for this fucking thing and now she's like oh shit i remember i have a bitcoin and she looked at her account and it blew up it's crazy. Now she has like thirty some thousand dollars. Because one bitcoin is worth. It's not. It's not as though one bitcoin is one dollar. One bitcoin is thousands. I think. Right. Yeah, it's like thirty some thousand dollars. Yeah, most people only have um parts it's of a bitcoin. One thousand dollars of bitcoin. Thousand with a D. With a big D. Sixty-one but, grand, bro. Speaking about art and artists, oh do you guys think that personal training or coaching is an art? Or do you feel like it's a skill or do you feel like it's a blend of the two? And if so, how much of a blend? That's a tough one for me. Cause everybody's a personal trainer now. Everyone's a fitness guru. Everyone is a, everyone is a fat loss expert. Coach, Listen, it's, yeah. it's hard. I think it's a, I don't know. It's hard to say if it's an art because it, if it's art, then, you know, it's about perspective, which means that everything is art. Therefore the value goes down because everything could be art right and i wouldn't classify a shit trainer or a shit squat a shit deadlift horrible form as art because then you could really hurt yourself you know and then what's the point you know so i don't know it's it's tough it's really hard to say whether it's art or not because i don't want to i i think that the value in something you know really depends on the person and how how much of their time is invested in learning, you know, things. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Because I, I also feel like you can classify somebody as an artist, right? Where it's like, no, I'm not an artist. I'm a coach. So like, it's weird. It's, but I've also heard people speak about trying to add something to it. Like they have their own style. Um, but Jacques, what do you feel? How do you feel about it? I think it's a mix of both. And I think uh, David brings up a valid point about how it's interesting because you mentioned if someone has poor form or someone's coaching, it's interesting because I often look at art and think that if someone scribbled three lines and it can auction itself for millions of dollars because that's fine art. It's like my interpretation of it is it's garbage, but someone else's interpretation is it's amazing. And <laughs> Lisa's um, garbage. No, but I just think it's so. It, it just to me, it's like, oh, this is worth millions. And I actually watched a really interesting first part of an interesting documentary. Uh, did you guys hear about that 1990? Uh, the biggest art, um, uh, art theft. All these pieces of art that were stolen in a museum in Boston, and it was estimated 200 million dollars was was stolen in 1990. There's a documentary um, on Netflix, but it's worth watching. But anyway, going back to, to the actual conversation, uh, I think I think it's a mixture. I think like any profession, any craft training, you become better at the art the longer you're in it because the more experienced you are, the more you've seen things, more injuries, the more, you know, I think anytime the first client we've trained and they couldn't hinge, 
I'm like, shit. Like, what do you mean you can't hinge? I don't know anyone that can't hinge. That was some of, some of my thinking. So I think it's going to be a mixture of both. And I think, um, I yeah, I, I think I think it's a mixture. And I think that um, it might look different depending on who your client is. Like you mentioned your client earlier that who was so in tune. And we've all been fortunate to inherit some of those clients that someone's probably trained them previously that spent so many hours breaking down technique, breaking down methods, breaking down so many concepts of training and training well and training in proper form that when we inherit those, you can literally throw anything at them and it can make you look like the best professional. But it's not not to take credit for someone else's work, but that is an instance where it's the profession where you could, it, it can sell you, but that might not necessarily have been a, your hard work or crafting, right? So I think, it, I think it's a mixture. And I have a, a separate question that kind of stemmed from that. Where do you find the value in a coach? Is it the client and their movement or is it the coach and their certs or their knowledge? Ask that question again. So where do you find val- uh, value in the coach or more value in the coach? Is it the clients that they train in their movement quality or is it their education, the education of the coach? I, not to sound like I'm on the fence, I think it's not quite 50-50, but I think it's more 75-25 in favor of how your client moves. That might sound unfair because if the person doesn't listen to you and doesn't do homework, at the end of the day, if you're in charge of moving them, I think there should be accountability and onus on you to help them move better. Or I hate thinking if someone does something wrong or does something in in a dangerous method that might help them, that they've been under my scope of learning how to move. Whereas you can learn everything and read everything, but if you can't either convey that information through to your clients or if you can't translate what movement should look like for someone and they can't get it, something along the way is lost in translation. It doesn't make you a bad, I wouldn't say make you a bad coach. I just think you're more effective at the understanding or learning. I'm sure there's people that understand biomechanics better than they actually teach it. Because I can read something, an article, like the, the article you spoke about space. Remember about the melatonin supplementation? Oh, yeah, yeah. So when I read that, I understood probably 90, 95% of it. But when it came to explaining it, I wasn't very good at explaining it, which doesn't very justify my point here about how you should be 75% more capable of teaching how to move. But the point is, I'm better understanding the information, but I can't quite relate it. So when it comes to movement, that's an area of opportunity for me. But I've always felt that was decent about movement but when it comes to information i could let the documentary i could tell you what happened roughly but i bet you some about nine out of ten people be better at explaining it mm. what about you what about you david david go for it i think it's kind of the thing between like one come before the other i mean what if you have no clients and you're taking all these certs and you're learning all these things and you're trying to show your value to someone it's like, okay, I don't have any clients. So the value has to come from my knowledge and what I've learned and how much time I've put into it, all the sweat equity that I put into my business. And that's a lot of value. And I think one sweat. Wait, no, I wanted to interject because don't think of it as like the number of clients, but think of it as like your client's movement quality, because that's another conversation, because I know that there are some, uh, 
trainers or coaches that have a ton of clients and then they're all like shit movement yeah um but, but saying, then that's different no but i'm saying like just one client right like if you have one client then sure you could be like hey look how my client moves but at the end of the day when you when you're starting off your business you really have nothing to go off of and the more clients you get and then how and, and the 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 results quote unquote because everybody has different results the results could also be something that adds more value to you because the person is going to see, wow, this person has helped these people get to where they get, you know, but it's tough because like I said, there are clients that we have that are very, you know, thick headed and it's hard to get the results because you could teach them everything, you know, but then that one client, you don't want to blame that on the client when it comes to your showing your value. You know, if it's like, you don't want to say, oh, we're, I'm not going to show you this client because they don't have results. So, you know, let me show you the ones that do have results. Um, so it's, would, hard. It's, it's really hard to say. I would also just say like the results aspect of it, too, is tricky. So if you're talking about movement quality as a result, then that will fit in the, in the, into the question. Because if you're talking about weight loss, weight gain, muscle mass, mm -hmm. things like that, those become that's a broader kind of like that's a broader scope because you then you have to cover more bases right yeah. so you're covering nutrition aspect well, when it comes covering, down to looking at movement as yeah the value like reps like look at the quality of somebody so each person has so five coaches one's got a ton of certs one has zero certs and he's got um wait that's it yeah one coach one coach but they both have five clients one's got uh zero certs one's got a thousand certs or a hundred certs. So one has a thousand certs. The other guy is just zero. And the movement Instagram quality influencer. Sure. Yeah. Instagram, okay. IG influencer, IG influencers got his five clients have what you would call, and this is a high bar, no pun intended for David to say that somebody has great movement quality, but they have great movement quality as certified by David Bravo. Then you got the coach with all the certifications and then he has those five he or her has those five clients with poor movement quality Dude, even then it's hard man because the the five clients that the instagram influencer has probably just genetically have great mobility and flexibility you know it's, it's hard i it, i'm not trying to be difficult into giving you an but answer if they both coach them into whatever they've been training them for what let's say a good framework would be five years Right. In okay. five years, you can train somebody in theory, you can train somebody with poor movement quality to at least OK movement quality. Right. OK. OK. That's it. Period. Dot. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Because you're throwing in genetics. My man is taking that question and just adding yeah, stuff on. I know. I know it's a, it's a challenging question. You don't want to give credit to the IG influencer. That's what it is. No, no, it's not that I don't want to give credit to them. Is you don't want to give credit to the primal soldier. I'm sure he has a shit ton of certs, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure he does. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I, I can't give you an answer to that one. Yeah, I think I think it's a blend, right? So Jacques spoke it's about a blend be a being the seventy-five percent for movement quality and then twenty-five percent for um like the knowledge or experience or something for the knowledge. Let's not throw experience into it, but I think maybe not 75, but I do definitely think there's a blend to it because if 
you know, you have all that education, but then you can't really put it into practice. It doesn't necessarily make it useless. It just doesn't make that, um, the, what you're doing, it doesn't make, like, it doesn't make your personal training sessions better, right? It doesn't make your one-on-one coaching better. It might make you a better educator. It might make you a better role model. It might make you a better mentor, but for the purposes of looking at a client and having their movement quality be better or more productive or less harmful, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really translate. And that's something that I was really focused on when I first got into uh, personal training because, you know, coming from the exercise science background, I saw a lot of people coming from different backgrounds and some having more success with their clients and, you know, some people having not so great success with their clients. And I was wondering, like, what's the equation? Like, what makes a good coach? What makes a good trainer? Because I'm like one of five in a club full of like, 40 to 50 coaches that have a background like a you know college background at least a bachelor's in exercise science but that doesn't make those five coaches better because they might not have as much clients or the quality of the movements might not be where it's at right so I get there's a lot of factors that go into it right business and you know what they look like what they smell like if they take care of themselves if they talk shit to their clients if they talk shit about other people's clients there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, How in shape they are like people see you and they're just like I want to do business with this person versus that person but I do think that it it's more beneficial to have that. your clients have better movement quality and learn something as well I found that towards my senior year they really focused on less about numbers and learning algorithms and more about practice, right? What do clients need? Do they need to know, you know, their BMI or do they need to know that if they injure themselves, they should see a physical therapist or a chiropractor or whatever, because that's not your scope, right? Like you have to know these things in practice. That way you're better able to handle real world or real life situations. And it's all information at the end of the day but you have to be able to distinguish what's important, what's not. I think jumping on that real quick, will you, maybe I misheard it, but there's definitely been scenarios that, or there are scenarios where you can be the number one performer and the training might not be, we spoke about some previous episodes, I think, where if there was a way to reward more the quality as opposed to the quantity of a session, yeah. it's hard, it's hard as a company because, you do like three exercises. Go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. All I was going to say was if, if you have someone that does 30 sessions, we, I spoke about it in a sense of, let's say if you were to measure bench box. So let's say if you had, uh, I don't know, Joe has 40 clients. So he does 40 sessions in a week. And if you have, I don't know, what I say, Joe. And then if say you have um, Marcus doing 20, or Jane, let's say Jane, for example, is doing 20. But of the sessions that Jane's doing, let's say 10 of her 20 clients have hit performance benchmarks, right? Mm-hmm. And overall satisfaction, let's say average of the members is significantly greater there. And let's say uh, Joe only has maybe two clients hit benchmarks. Now, there's so many variables. So to say that it was, oh, that Joe didn't spend enough time programming or being having a, a somewhat specific systems in place to make sure the clients were going to meet benchmarks. Because again, if a client only sees you once a week, 
that's a lot of hours in a week that you don't have direct influence over or accountability over. But just as an example, if you were to reward that person for having greater benchmarks or greater number of benchmarks achieved through their client roster, that ultimately, maybe not from a business model, but from a performance, from a health and wellness model and client relationship with a uh, client uh, trainer relationship is that those things are significantly enhanced. And if there was a way to compensate those for the same pay, I don't know. Again, from yeah, a business I standpoint, it doesn't make sense. But, but from a trainer's perspective, it, it would be, yeah. And it would help you keep good coaches like on staff because yeah. there were times where I was really discouraged um, and I felt like I should just jump into something different because, you know, I did not feel that it was a good business model to have numbers rule over movement, right? Like mm. numbers being like sessions, the amount of sessions, like if you're paying me to be somebody's friend, I could be somebody's friend. Maybe I'm not that charismatic or I'm not, yeah, yeah. I can be more, I, there are things that I would have to work on. Like I'd have to be more approachable. I'd have to be more engaging. I'd have to like accept more text messages and more emails and phone calls spontaneously, but um, definitely be more extroverted. But I did not feel like that was like, I'm not being paid to be somebody's friend. I'm being paid to help them improve their movement quality and get them to their benchmarks or get them to their goal. So I always felt like I had, I don't know. I felt like that, that was something I really wanted, but again, it's not necessarily, maybe it's a business model that you can make when you start your own spot, you know, something mm. that you can look for. And now that, you know, obviously when I first started, I didn't really do this cause I was trying to get my uh, foundation underneath under me. But now that I have clients that I've been training for a while, I oftentimes ask them, you know, maybe at the year mark or, half a year or quarterly, I just asked them like, how am I doing? How am I doing as a coach? Do you feel like there are some things that I could be doing better? Because that also helps you perfect your craft. And sometimes you hear things that you never would have thought of, you know, sometimes, you know, it's fine. And you just hear, Oh, no, I think you're good. You know, you're doing good. But keep asking that question, same way as like, I open up all my sessions with how is your how are you doing? And then how is your body uh, feeling today? Or how's your body doing today? Um, and that helps them get into the habit of listening and then obviously being more open. And sometimes it's just their body's fine, but then other times it's just like their body feels like complete crap. Um, and having that door open and having that repeatability, asking, how am I doing as a coach? Can you give me some feedback? Did you like this? Did you not like this? What did you like, not like? That always helps perfect the craft. And then obviously, hopefully it'll lead us to being better coaches in the future yeah hopefully but I, I like uh i like the example you touched on um i think it's yeah i just think it's important to, to speak about those things yeah all right so let's pivot i'm gonna pivot to businesses are opening up restaurants are opening up people want to eat out more and jack has something to say to his clients about it no, I just, I know, I know uh, some of my clients had spoken about some of the restaurants that opened up the first time since, uh, I guess, since indoor dining had closed. Uh, I think I, my, I understood that it was either since December or maybe in a year. But uh, anyway, some of these places opened up for the first time. So I understand the, the thrill of going out to some of these places. But I think um, 
it, it, it's a tough spot to be in because you this is a very difficult stage to be in mentally to have been deprived of everything and I'm not a theater person I'm a sports person but I've been fortunate to see sports on TV I've actually been able to go back to see but if you're into theater and it's just been nothing I, I can't imagine how tough it's been so if you get some remnants of your usual life that are coming back it's a very exciting time but I think if I pivot towards uh, when you're trying to if you find yourselves now with friends who have been vaccinated or if you're if you're you're now at the point where you're in a in a in a situation where you feel safer and you're going back to hanging out with friends and I just heard stories where um, if friends would bring back treats and you, you feel harder to be to say no I think you just have to you have to come up to yourself and say and it's not always easy but like what do I want to get in the next year and when we spoke about journaling on in the episode you know, I think that's good for performance standpoint as well. You know, I want to perform a bench press of 150 pounds, or whatever, 250 pounds, whatever it is. Or I want to be able to have this percentage body or whatever it is. If you write those things down and if you look at it and you read it and you think, oh, there's no way, like, then, then that's maybe not the path for you, the goal for you. But if when you keep in mind and something that we've probably learned in the past, the discrepancy tool, I want to lose as much weight, but I don't know if I want to meal prep doesn't have to be that black and white it doesn't have to be that straightforward but you have to find you have to ask yourself these questions and it's i've had i've had clients also say oh you'd kill me i had a scoop of ice cream i'm not gonna kill you i love ice cream i'll go ice cream too but if you're having ice cream every single night then we have a problem right and if it's one scoop compared to uh look this was the best what did i tell you I, I, tell you, I told you the McDonald's story, right? When I had a client try and go to Trader Joe's and went to McDonald's and crushed the McDonald's. It he completely said, backfired. Uh, when I told them they weren't working at the time. Hmm. And I told them, go to Trader Joe's, just take a look at what the food is so that way you can be familiar with what I'd want to get, what I would cook, this and that. And this person saw the lie and thought, nah, and went next door to McDonald's and crushed big, a Big Mac. Now he said, oh, I was so good. And I think that's important to do every once in a while, find something that you like and enjoy it. I guess before I go off on a tangent, I think it's a healthy mindset to have something, the foods you enjoy on a somewhat frequent basis. And what I mean by frequent, I think once a week is, is sufficient. And I think if you have that mindset, because going forward, you can do that long-term. You can do that for years to come. If you were to... Like what, I don't know what podcast I listened to, but they said diets. There's no, or, or, or six week fixes of beach body diet or workout. You never find a workout or a diet plan being sold off, stay in shape, right? Do we mm. ever see that? No, because it's always go from A to B, go from this lower position to a higher point where you want to be in a better position uh, and, and be in a specific physical outcome and there's never there's never anything to say oh stay in this position stay in this peak uh this sorry this physique that you're in this peak physique and nobody's promoting maintain it's always no one promotes that lose this gain that because what those those fad diets are it's a cycle go back into this one go back into that one more and it's more habits yeah more habits of maintaining are sustainable i think 
when you go into, and I'm sure like RDs can probably speak to this, registered dietitians could probably speak to this a lot more, but I'm sure that the qualities of the maintenance phase are more sustainable in nature and the qualities of the opposite of that, like either gaining or losing are probably more short-term strategies or short-term qualities. And I wonder you know, if there's a reasoning behind that, I'm sure it gets deep with, you know, psychology and mm. you know, availability of foods and even neighborhoods and communities and what kind of foods they have. But um, yeah, I was just, when you mentioned that, I kind of thought about nobody's preaching maintain, but that might be a reason why too. And also, you know, money as well, right? Like it's, it sells to say you can lose this or you can gain that because that's constantly where people are at. And it's honestly, sometimes it makes me sad, like a little bit sad. I don't, I try not to get too bogged down about it, mm. but um, just thinking like some people will never see like this physique in their body, but they're going to spend their whole life trying to, towards, yeah. Yeah, trying to work towards something that will never happen. And that sometimes makes me sad because it's like, you know, sometimes you speak to people and you speak to friends and we have friends and they're always like, yeah, I got to lose this or I got to gain this or I'm trying to do that. And it's just like year after year after year after year, it's the same thing. And it's the same sort of story. But some of the conversations I've had as well, when someone says, I want to do this, I want to be aggressive. And I want my, my approach is I want to lose this much, but I miss much weight and I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to this many amount of walks or something. If you recon- if this is a friend and it's not a client, if you reconvene with a person, you ask them, how's it going? Oh, I stopped. The likelihood of they stopped was because the bar was set too high. If they gave themselves a habit that was too much too soon, right? Yeah. If you've gone from not walking at all to four walks a day, that's, that's too much. But with, um, and like you said, Angel, it's a really good point about genetically, we spoke about this in the past where you want to look like Thor, you want to look like Christian Bale or Wonder Woman, whoever it is. Genetically, it's not a defeatist mindset, but your body's never going to look identical to that person. And it's not surprising when men's health tells you these are the workout, these exercises. Yeah, we could all pretty much tell you what exercises are. So when you go on Pinterest, I laugh when I look at some of these things. Here's a, here is a glute workout. It's nothing different that we don't know already. It's, but the way it's, the way it's conveyed, the way it's marketed to this is the, or for example, the craziest thing I saw is if you want a body like uh, this shape or this shape or that shape, right? Depending on size or arms and do these exercises. I, some of those exercises I thought were actually kind of bullshit anyway, for one. And it's you just, nothing that you, you guys have just touched on, nothing beats consistency. Those memes where, oh shit, summer's in two months, at best I get my beach body ready. I love the memes or the jokes where they say, I've been working with somebody all through winter. Like I've consistently been doing this week, week for week, you know, and that's why um, when people spoke to me about having to get ready for something in a month, and if it was someone close to me, I would say, okay, so what are we going to do? This going to change. And when they came to me about asking about meal prep or about food, I, I, I said, there's, you can do this your way, or you can ask me for my help and take this away. Oh, this and that. And if you're not arguing, but if you're discussing whether you should take something, the cleaner, the better. The closer to the source of the food from the ground, the better. I don't know if I was talking to a client about this. I said, closer to the source, the better. I'm not saying you can't have dried fruit, but if you have fresh fruit, even better. Same with foods in general. Sorry for my tangent. I yeah, thought you went it was on so a long. sick tangent. I kind of helped you yeah. out there, but 
that was just a full space. <laughs> that was no, just a full void. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all in the realm of wanting to help people. And yeah. Just not. There's not a. I, I'm not going to rant too much about this, but I don't like. No, I won't. I won't go. So. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's pull it back. Let's pull it back. Pull, pull back. I was going to go for one. <laughs> no, no. Uh, David, do you have any thoughts and comments before we close this out? Because I know we're um, wrapping up soon. Well, I think the biggest thing that's helped me in the past when I've had to prepare for a competition or anything was always just like a consistent basis doing, you know, certain things. So being consistent with something is going to be a lot better than, you know, going back and forth with diets. Diets are not meant to be a long-term thing. That's what it's called a diet, you know, and what are people going to do after the diet is over? What, hap- what happens after six weeks? You know, all right. Are you gonna go back to doing what you were doing before, or are you gonna yeah actually change something? So, consistency and keeping it simple is always, I think, the 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 go to. Yeah, the closer it is to their reality too. I know uh, Jacques had mentioned like one time a week, going out to eat one time a week, Um, and I think that it would. It depends. Like it depends on the person because if people are. You can't have an out. investment banker and telling him, hey, you can't go out on client dinners or client lunches anymore when there are like right. millions of dollars on the line. That you can't true. tell him to stop. Even what if his goal him, is, yeah, go ahead. I mean, we can tell him is how about you change something or you add something to whatever it is you're doing. You don't have to go and have everything under the sun at this dinner. Maybe how about you have, you know, something a little healthier, you know, so yeah, yeah go to the dinner, but have something healthier. Wasn't there someone on our church curriculum that had a client who I Chinese take out every day, but it was just a clean. Do you remember that angel? Yeah, it was you. No, just kidding. No, <laughs> no but, it, but, but it was, and I, when I heard this, I was like, there's no way. And but he, spe- he specifically said the details were the vegetables were always steamed and the meat wasn't fried or mm-hmm. I think the meat was steamed as well, but it was just the client wanted to get Chinese takeout every day, but it wasn't with, heavy sources and it would and he said their clients saw results i mean i don't yeah. think that's the best way but that's nah. an example of he wanted to go to chinese takeout and he still did it a healthy way if you ever order chinese food and you tell them uh what is it like no soy sauce or anything like that no soy sauce no duck sauce whatever they put on it you say i want chicken and broccoli white rice or brown rice chicken and broccoli brown rice i did that for a hot minute that was my little like hood snack or whatever munchies at like one in the morning and just like yo let me get this chicken and broccoli no sauce brown rice on the side and not even use it and that that's rough like it looks a different color but it's weird man it's uh it's definitely different it looks um, like casper it does (laughs) but you're like yeah you're like wait is this actually real meat yeah, then you then you like <laughs> right. New York City rats probably what it is. It's probably in a bucket. They They're probably here in a bucket. He's just like, but I'm lean though. <laughs> My fucking immune system is shit. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh let's wrap okay. it up. Any any closing thoughts? Any any of you guys want to like say anything before we wrap it up? Uh, I just say give action. No, I I just want to say I think that um listeners stay tuned we're, we're excited to bring on more guests and we're definitely expanding outside of we we've gone outside the new york area but we're trying to get our more literally. creative minds so stay tuned what's up literally jacques is not even in new york right now i am in lancaster pennsylvania yes lancaster uh, lancaster. lancaster you say lancaster no, yeah lancaster. that's right. made the mistake i went to lancaster twice what for, for weightlifting meets dude 
they're so strong over there. It's ridiculous. Like fucking farm. Well, that probably farm strong. 13, 13 year old, 14 year old farm boys lifting over 250 pounds over their head. And they look like fucking toothpicks. That's why I just Functional started reading fitness. more. I just started reading. I was like, fuck that. I ain't being that motherfucker. Dude, no, I went. I'm like, oh, my God, man. But Lancaster is a really fun place. Did you go into like the town square where they have like that big black statue of a guy in a... In a Full disclosure, I checked in 10 minutes before we jumped onto this. And my train is a little late. So I, I, saw, I, I saw Alex for the first time in like, what, four or five weeks? Mm-hmm. And uh, she put me up. Checked in. She had to go off to rehearsal. So I've seen her for like five minutes. Dude, walk around. Time. It's a really nice place. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to grab some food. Have the uh, milk. I know it's there's a mole. Fresh, fresh from milk. the udder. Wow. Fresh from the udder, man. So well, I want to I wanna, I wanna check it out. I want to see. I, I've heard about the Amish checking out the uh, the stuff around here. And she's, she's doing two shows tomorrow. So I have time tomorrow to kind of explore. Don't um, get kidnapped there's an, the Amish, man. No, there's a Nike outlet though, so I'm gonna go check that out. There's a what? Nike outlet around here. Oh, okay. Yes. I was Yo, like, give me a shoes, bro. No, that ass. Give me some shoes. I mean, if y'all, if you guys are on Facetime tomorrow, Facetime if I see anything. But all right, shoot me a text. I'll Venmo you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Trainer Feed. Feel free to subscribe, all that jazz, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye.